0: We have another episode in store for you today. This week, we have uh, Maddie Maxey, who's a Teal Fellow based out of New York with um, her own company created and lots of other projects going on. So uh, Mike and I would like to introduce uh, Maddie. Maddie, can you give us a little uh, brief story on what you've been up to these days?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Great. So yeah, I live in New York City. We're kind of at the intersection of fashion and technology design, kind of intermingling all sorts of fields. And I'm a fellow at a Fortune 50 consultancy called Undercurrent. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur in residence at General Assembly. And of course, there's created where we do consulting and collaborative product development for fashion tech companies and consumer product companies as well. Uh, So it's a lot of running around, but a lot of fun. I, I think, that's why anybody lives in new york because they don't want to sleep (laughs) so
0: it's been good yeah i think uh, i'm i'm in new york this week as well and i think there's a there's something in the water it's like walking around at at two three in the morning on the way back from a tech event and everyone's still out and about meeting it's like you kind of have to subscribe to it um how how has new york been part of building your business and kind of building your lifestyle
1: yeah, of course. So, for the fashion industry, New York is kind of the ideal place to be. I, I think that New York is a lot more design centric than San Francisco is, and that's something that's really important in a lot of the product development that we do as well. In terms of lifestyle, I think it's kind of ironic because I. Not much of a New Yorker in the sense that I wake up early. I go to bed at the same time as my grandmother, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I very rarely go out. So you know, if it wasn't for the business here and the fact that I love the city, uh, I think that I could actually live elsewhere. Um, but but the people here are something that make it worth it, even if you're not taking advantage of the le- nightlife. So yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. I, I find that New York is also great for uh, like, inducing serendipity, just in the sense that people who are moving and shaking around here kind of all know each other. And so you get this strange, small town feel in such a massive city.
2: That's interesting. So you mentioned that you have like a few fellowships on your belt. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about what that's been like to be a part of all these different programs? Because it seems like those are, you know, Shelby and I are in a fellowship. So it's kind of a micro mm-hmm. community within, you know, a, a very big world of you know, tech and New York City and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something that I found recently that was really helpful was uh, reading this book called Essentialism by Greg McKeown. And basically the concept is that if you choose the things that are important to you and focus on doing those specifically, then of course you're going to do a better job. And it seems somewhat obvious, but I feel like we're often told that you should cast the widest net you can find, make it a little wider, rope in everything, and just hustle all around um, without... specific sense of focus. And so I found that that kind of mentality of a wide net is really useful when you're first getting things going. But like once you're in these fellowship programs, as I'm sure it has been for you guys in uh, Venture for America, you kind of realize that it's important to choose what you prioritize in each one of these fellowships and then dedicate your time to them. So, you know, in, in the TEAL fellowship, for example, it's very hard to both have a tremendous social life, meaning best friends with every fellow and to actually make something that's viable in two years. So it's choosing those priorities and then modeling your actions after that. And uh, to ensure that actions are modeled after that, I found that it's really helpful to calendar everything and then I can go back and hold myself accountable to what I have accomplished and what I really haven't, and and how those fit into goals. So, um, yeah, I I think that prioritizing is the best thing you can do when it comes to being in a lot of different micro-communities, as you mentioned.
0: I found, um, you know, with with fellowships, too, um, someone recently told me that it's really hard to make close friends as an adult. Um, and and so, like, you have these people that you work with and these people that, you know, you know from, from school or from childhood or from college, you know, in some cases. <laughs> um, and then as you kind of get into the real world, it's like people are either your, um, you know, your romantic partner or friends of your romantic partner or maybe not any of that or, you know. And so the fellowships kind of play this, like, genuine friendship role, too, um, mm-hmm. which it, it, like you said, like sometimes it's hard to balance with wanting to build something and use the fellowship as like a means for your career, um, or like as a means for for just you know soul friendship. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what places have you kind of found your tribe? Like it, especially in navigating um, you know tech and fashion and design and New York. And I, I know you know you left school like a little bit prematurely. So where where have you found like your your people?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, my co-founder and I kind of joke because we have a similar sort of cohort of friends that it's like this strange clique of misfits (laughs) where you pick people up along the way. (laughs) And uh, I I find that fellowships are really useful for gathering communities of like-minded people. And that's where the value comes in. But uh, in general, I think that When it comes to having good friendships and relationships, and I'm I'm far from an expert on this by any means. Uh, I wish I was. But but I generally find that I get out of it when I put into it. So, you know, if um, if I know a friend's having a hard time, I'll make sure to call them and check up on them as often as possible. And I I know that they would do the same for me. And with that in mind, I I just... I think that by putting out there what I would ideally like to get back, it's attracted the people who are willing to do those things, and maybe the people who aren't tend to stay a little further away. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of, you know, the concept of you are a combination of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, so try and choose good people, and I try and choose uh, quality over quantity. Um, as for where I actually found a lot of my friends, like one or two of my really good friends were actually from that semester at Parsons. Uh, you know, my co-founder actually one of my greatest friends and that was through an introduction that we had and a lot of my friends are from various workshops and courses that I go to and I find that workshops and courses are a great place to meet people who are motivated to learn more and grow and that always makes for a great friendship um so yeah what what about you guys
2: yeah i mean it, it's been interesting because you know vfa for us obviously we kind of left college where you have all all of your, like, really close friends. And you know, my friends from college are, like, my best friends in the world. But um, then you, you're kind of instantly turned into a new situation where it's, like, freshman year all over again, and you're kind of making new friends. Um, so, I mean, for us, I mean, Shilpi and I are pretty friendly, uh, enough to <laughs> to talk on the phone for an hour a week. So um, we've I've learned that there's really not that much – of a difference between like a friend and like a professional connection. I don't think there's really a a professional connection is to me, isn't really worth much because at the end of the day, like when you need something, whether it's personally or professionally or whatever, you're going to go to your friends. So the ability to, to be friends, like-minded people is uh, this weird, like mash of like, your personal life and your professional life. And it just makes everything kind of the same. It's really strange. Like it, I have a lot of trouble these days, like blurring the line between what things I'm doing that are like career centric and what things I'm doing are like personal. Like, I don't know what this is right now. Like I'm, it's like, (laughs) like, yeah, you could say we're doing a podcast that seems like something that is advancing our careers or whatever. But I'm also just like hanging out with Shopee. Or not. <laughs> uh, right, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, like, we're not really yet.
2: <laughs> right. So it, it's it's kind of the lines have become so blurred for me because of the fellowship.
0: Uh Maddie, I I'm, I'm also curious, you know, Mike and I have this this recent grad mentality, um you know, as we're Approaching our workflow, and you know, you've had this um, like amazing opportunity to be learning and in, in a less conventional sense. Can you can you talk a little bit about kind of how you've approached your learning over the last few years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I first left school for the fellowship, that was one of the hardest things. Was that I was no longer being told what to do, and I no longer had um, a specific sense of good and bad, which doesn't really sound like something you'd miss, but it can be very hard to keep going the direction you're going when you never quite see a road sign along the way. And I feel like grades and teachers often provide you lots of road signs that you're making a wrong turn or, you know, keep going straight ahead. You're 30 miles away from Vegas, whatever you're looking for. Um, and so with that in mind, I just, uh, I mean, i talked to a lot of other people for feedback, but generally I've put together, uh, as I said, a kind of crazy calendar where I mark up everything and use that as a heuristic to see what I'm accomplishing over the week and what else I should be doing. So uh, generally, I save, I'm a bit of an early bird, so I get up around 5.30 and I generally learn something new from 5.30 to 6.30. So uh, I've been taking a class on rhetoric recently, which has been really interesting. Um, And then the rest of the day I'll exercise and then get straight to work but the only downside is around this time of day I'm totally shot so I apologize in <laughs> advance even though it's only 4 p.m. <laughs> but by prioritizing learning I think that it it makes the day more exciting and I think that it also consistently hands me a slice of humble pie as I you know, realize that there is just a massive knowledge out there that I don't even know exists and uh, it's very motivating in that sense. Yeah.
2: Have you ever felt that you need, like, you needed humble pie? Therefore, you like lurched <laughs> searched out for learning opportunities. Shilpie's, Mike might be oh. asking
0: for a personal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Shilpie, <laughs> hand, handed me uh, humble pie a few times, so.
1: I'm um, I you know it's a hard question to answer because I feel like. I feel like it's hard to sound like a good person, <laughs> regardless of what you say. Uh, not in the sense that like one should be filtering for sounding like a good person. But yeah. I, I guess in general, I see people as agents of their own life. And so I kind of imagine that everyone is fully capable of doing the things that I'm doing or that you guys are doing. They just choose not to. Therefore, I never see myself as exceptional in any way I just see myself as making different choices and I have a lot of fun doing these things so I'm having an equal amount of fun as the person who chooses to go out at night as I do when I'm working on let's say the new branding for our company and I generally don't think that it's fair to judge anyone's choices uh especially if those choices are making them happy. The, the only thing that I think that's really dangerous is when people uh, do things that make them unhappy because they feel like they should. So, um, yeah, in, in terms of humble pie, I, I've, maybe I do need a slice, I'm not really sure, but it, it wasn't intentional when I chose to start doing morning learning.
2: <laughs> you kind of wanted an alternative route than traditional education. Um, and you mentioned that you know, grades can be kind of a, a good witness test for how you're doing. Do you think that kind of the, the traditional education system could be toxic in any way in terms of uh, making people dependent on those different signals?
1: Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I don't want to say toxic in particular, but I do think that it sets you up for a reality that doesn't exist. So uh, a lot of the structures that we put ourselves in are finite structure so that we feel somewhat comfortable. I mean, in my apartment, for example, uh, that is a finite environment Why I'm in control of the things that happen, for, for, for the most part. You know, but once I step outside, there are a lot more variables that come into play. And so I think that school is a very finite structure that's set up so that you get this impression that the world doesn't have as many variables as there are, uh, and that there's a strict sense of right and wrong, right being an A, wrong being being an F, and In general, I I mean, I feel like the world can accommodate lots of different kinds of people and lots of different senses of morality, so I I don't think that school prepares you very well for what it's like to be on your own or to truly be an adult, but I do think that it seems like a lot of fun, and I also think that it's great socially. And I think that sometimes people discount the importance of the social experiences you have in college, but as somebody who hasn't had a lot of them, I think that they do seem very valuable. And like you said, Mike, you have tons of your closest friends in college, so you you can't get that anywhere else, really. Right, right.
0: Something I'm interested in, in, Maddie, is, you know, you spend a lot more time in the creative design mindset um, in your job than I have the pleasure of doing in mine right now. Um, I'd love to hear, like, what kind of tools and, and products you're using to keep you engaged. Um, it, I recently, um, you know, started I started downloading all the, like, drawing apps that you can have on your phone, just, like, as Aww. a sketch or on your iPad. Um, and
1: it'd be it'd be. To hear what you're using yeah so the the list runs pretty deep I actually don't have any sketching or drawing apps on my iPhone so I feel like you've definitely beat me in that department <laughs> um, <laughs> but I like for example uh we're redoing a bunch of our branding so uh there's this uh, have anyone have either one of you guys uh, played around with processing at all Oh, uh, so so processing is like the creative technologist's dream interface where uh, you can do very visual programming. And so I've, I, I've been reading up on this. Uh, They're really physics and then really integration. And so typically when you're showing velocity in some sort of animation or in a processing sketch, it's something like X equals X plus velocity. So it just cruises along at an equivalent uh speed the entire time but when you use Verlay integration you're including inertia and acceleration as you know as you would like. So I found this way to simulate fabric using uh, these different point masses so that it looks like it's floating around the screen. And this was all kind of an excuse to learn about new things, but it's not going to be the new background video for our website. So I uh, use, I mean, processing, like today alone, uh, I used Illustrator Processing uh, Sublime for the website mock-up, which is simple. Um, A little bit of Photoshop, uh, but some of my favorite programs that I don't get to use very often are, like, Man Mapper, which is for projection mapping, that uh, I haven't had an excuse to do that in a while. <laughs> so, um, what else? I, I recently downloaded Mathematica, so I'm excited to wow. play around with that, but I don't know how useful it's going to be for that's what we awesome. um, I haven't thought about Mathematica in so yeah,
2: long. <laughs> that's, like, how I learned basic code through Mathematica.
1: <laughs> that was the key. yeah. yeah i mean the uh, various Wolfram programs have such natural language when you're programming something it's uh i think that it's a really pleasurable or it seems like a really pleasurable way of making graphs or doing computation et cetera so that that's uh yeah that's good i um there's this addition that you can get for Illustrator where you can write JavaScript scripts for various vector arts so sometimes I use that and that's really fun um I'm trying to see what I'll say. Oh, of course, like Maya, Blender, Rhino, uh, ZBrush for all sorts of 3D modeling. So it's kind of this suite of tools that you use. And I, it's, it's curious because there's always something new coming on as well. So it's really easy to feel, feel irrelevant, um, Like, uh, a fritzing as well is really good for circuitry design. I'm I'm looking at my toolbar now. Uh, Open Frameworks is pretty cool. You can put yourself in ASCII really easily, (laughs) which is important. I use a little bit of Eagle, but it's not as intuitive. So uh, it's just like a random suite of things that... Help us make what we need to make, and I'm willing to download and learn anything new if it means that it will make our projects more possible. Yeah, My, Mike's head is spinning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: it's really, it's really interesting because um, while you didn't have like the traditional Southern educations that Shelby and I had, um, you know, you you have the curiosity of like someone who's still in school, like wanting to learn all, all these things, uh, which is really interesting because I know for me personally right now. I'm kind, of, uh, I'm kind of tired of learning things without a context for how to apply them. So, like, everything I try to learn now is, like, directly applicable to something I need to do. So, I've kind of fought the urge over the past year. Like, I haven't learned to code. And, I, like, that's a conscious decision not to learn to code because it's like, well, it would satiate my curiosity and make me feel good like I'm learning things. But it's not something that I, like, really need to accomplish my immediate goals. So it's just interesting to see that difference because, like, I had four years to be curious and learn a bunch of math that I'll never use again. Um, So it's like now I actually want to learn stuff that I can apply tomorrow.
1: Did did you feel like while you were at school you were actually being curious and investigating what you wanted, or did you feel like you were more so guided down a path and being fed the things that you should want to learn? Uh,
2: yeah, so I think I was initially, like, in some way, I was probably guided from a career perspective. You know, Shelby and I could talk about this in the context of Venture for America. Like, uh, I was guided down a path towards investment banking. Um, but in terms of what I studied, you know, I took the accounting courses and stuff because I wanted a business degree because, like, that's kind of what you I wanted, to have a good job, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of math, I kind of got really curious. Um, so that, that was actually a pretty big surprise that, like because Washington and Lee was a liberal arts school I was like, hey, you
1: kind of- went to Washington and Lee yeah yeah my sister went there that's really funny I've I- feel like I might have passed you while visiting her once or, or what, twice. What's your sister's name? Never knew about it. Her name is Taylor Maxey. Oh,
2: yeah, I know Taylor.
1: Are you serious? That's <laughs> yeah. kind of amazing.
2: That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I didn't make that connection. Yeah, yeah. That's really fun.
1: How, how did you meet her? Sorry, I, I don't
2: know how relevant uh, this is. But... <laughs> I met her because it's an 1800 person school and you know everyone. <laughs> it's, such that a makes high sense. it's just yeah.
1: like... A six-foot-three black girl and yeah. kind of hard tennis right.
2: at Washington. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> but it's uh, really funny. Um, but yeah, so I, I was able to branch out and kind of, uh, like, I went into math thinking that I was going, going to do the beaten path and just do really applied stuff. But I mm-hmm. ended up getting really curious with the theoretical stuff, which is really not applicable at all. Um, so that's kind of, that was my curiosity, but I don't use it at all
1: anymore. So. I, I actually think that this is an interesting thing to bring up, and I would love to hear your guys' opinion as well. So, Mike, you mentioned that like learning to code isn't something that necessarily interests you, mm-hmm. and right now there's a massive women in programming movement, and while I do think that it is a useful skill to know, and it's nice to support certain groups in doing certain things, I feel like it's shooting a certain demographic into a certain field. It's not saying specifically, like, People should have agency, or women should have agency. It's saying women should do X, and so it's not like, of course, people in general are saying people should do X as in code. And I think it's interesting that you're saying, but I don't actually want to do that, and I don't need to do that, so why would I do it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you do you feel like? Uh, uh, Did do, do you feel like it's something that you want to learn in the future, or like will ever be relevant to what you're doing? Um.
2: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. It's a really good question. Like, in my opinion, it it was something that I really, like, I think I would be good at coding just because I have a a math background and, like, it Uh makes sense. But I think there will always be people that are better than me at at coding. Um, And, like, I'm not ready to, like, I I think it's a lifelong pursuit kind of, and I'm not ready to go down that rabbit hole. Um, So, like, if I'm not going to do it all the time and try to stay up to date on everything, then... um, I think I'm better suited to do other things. So it was one of those decisions. And, you know, the if I were to spend time coding, then I wouldn't be able to develop other skills that I think uh, I could maybe double down on. But, I mean, I know Shilpi has dabbled a little bit too. I'm curious what she has to say, especially as a woman.
0: Yeah, I so I think... Um it has to be for the right motivation. And so I, I'm a different learner than both of you. I think I, um, I tend to pick up on arbitrary things that are, I find interesting, even if they're not directly applicable to what I'm working on or what I want to be working on. It's like the learning is about the journey for me, not the destination, if that makes sense. Um, like I actually enjoy the process of, of getting to know something. Um, and so yeah, with, you know, with developing or design or dabbling. I kind of do it often in in different areas. Um, But I find that it always comes back. It's like either it helps the way you think about something or it makes you more relatable to people who are incredibly invested in that field. Um, Or like learning how to use AutoCAD might make you, you know, a better test case for another product that um, is, is related But doesn't require the same skill set. So I I just I feel like it's like you uh, you just add to the things that you've had exposure to, um, and sometimes that's it. Sometimes it's not logical. It just is. It just is. Um, And I even with job stuff and with friends and with everything, I've started just not thinking about it as a process or a plan, but more as dots that might connect but might not. Um, You just like keep building Mm nodes, and if they if they have some, you know, resonance later, great. If not, like, great. You know, you...
2: that's really so, interesting because uh, oh. I, I think, like, I feel like we all have the same tendency to want to do that stuff, to like want to dabble. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm in a position now where I actually feel guilty when I'm dabbling. <laughs> like, I still do it sometimes, but like, I'll go on Product Hunt and like look at a bunch of products and like try them out and s- sign up for them. And I, I've signed up for like a hundred different things in the past month. But also, like, start using different tools and playing around. But then I start to feel guilty about, like, oh, I'm not really doing anything. But to some extent, the exposure is helpful. Not necessarily in a way that you can articulate at the time, but getting exposure to a lot of those things is really good.
0: Well, and maybe this gets back to this, Maddie. How did you, you know, you have all these different interests and you, um, you know, have built a knowledge base about wearables and about fashion and, and, you know, working with undercurrent. I'm sure you're beefing up on advertising and, you know, where, how did these interests evolve? How did you get to where you are, you know, today?
1: Oh, uh, it's it's a great question because sometimes, sometimes I wonder how I wound up this way and how I didn't end up (laughs) I feel like it would have been a lot easier to end up another way than it was to end up this way, particularly. And I, I guess a lot of people can say that. But um, but regardless, I I mean, I just I really, I really love working hard and putting a lot of effort towards the things that I do. And so, um, I, maybe to other people's annoyance, I tend to do pretty things pretty full throttle. When I originally got my interest in fashion, uh, I. Would read you no know, Vogue, and uh, you know if I saw a designer's name that I didn't recognize, I'd go on Wikipedia, print out their name, put it in these massive you know, like the three-inch binders that you think that nobody buys. <laughs> well, I bought those and put all of the papers in them, and would like carry them to dinner with my family and do research at the dinner table. And I, I feel like that's kind of how I've been able to dabble in so many different things is just because I'm, I'm. Very curious about learning about different fields and I'm also really not worried about being bad at them. I, um, I joined this thing called the Ju- Good Judgment Project recently where it's a prediction market for international events and I'm very bad at prediction markets and I also don't look much into international <laughs> events <laughs> and so I'm just really bad at it but so what like next time I do something I might be five percent better. Yes. And uh, as you said she'll be sometimes you establish things and then it comes around later. And so I think a nice combination of deliberate practice and more like, enjoyable dabbling allows you to relate to a lot of different fields and a lot of different people. Um, so just like a, a last snippet, something that I found is very helpful in terms of learning about what's out there was doing the best I can to play on other people's court when I talk to them. Uh, so I had a conversation with one of my mentors who's working on some artificial intelligence work. And I, I don't know a ton about artificial intelligence, but he's like, oh, are, are you using neural nets for that? And uh, I, I think that ConvNets most recently have been really effective for computer vision. So is that something that you guys are using? And that's kind of on his court and his expertise. And I can learn more about neural nets and ConvNets while letting somebody talk about something that they care about. Um, and I found that it's really enjoyable and beneficial for both parties to uh, kind of see every moment as a potential learning experience uh, when you can. So yeah, that's been something I've been looking at. Um, yeah, I, so Bisa, that you like to dabble a lot in different things. How, how do you choose what you can do and when you can't, when uh, you yeah. say that most things are available and, and open to you?
0: It's, it's true and I think it's it you know it talks it's a bigger conversation that now we have every kind of bit of knowledge and skill accessible at our fingertips whenever we want you know that's that's like the world of education that we're moving towards and it's that curation that self de- decision of, of when you use it that's um, that's kind of like the challenge of, of figuring out what, what to do and what not to do um, for me I do think it's it's my interaction with the people around me, um, how much I want to be able to like play in other people's courts who, you know, who I'm spending time with. Um, when I was working closely in hardware, I wanted to be able to be as engaged and possible as possible. And, you know, so I'd like go to the, the maker space and like play around and like, you know, try to watch people making their PCBs and, and circuit board, like, you know, getting as into it as possible. Um, and that fuels my curiosity even more, like the more you see, the more you want to learn. And so um, I'd say that just knowing when, you know, I just, I just moved to a new city, I've I've been around the makerspace, but it's not something I can spend as much time on. And so like, there's just, you make decisions, um, you know, based on context. And I think it's that adaptability that kind of plays in Um, something I didn't answer. and, And I'd love to, you know, hear your perspective on this. Mike is very accustomed to my to my d- gender ramplings. So, um, yeah, but in, I definitely have this, um, this, it should not be predictable. Um, and so <laughs> don't laugh at me. Um, and so when, you know, like I think of, of, of women who code or girls who code, um, or these programs girl develop it, black girls code, um, it, it, it's, they're amazing. And, um, I think they're, you know, elevating, STEM as like something that's accessible. Um, I just talked to a senior at Duke who's job hunting, and we had a very similar j- trajectory. And now you know she's doing the same major as I was, but she's doubling in comp sci and knows that she can you know do anything with it. And that that's it's cool. It's cool to see that knowing like the lack of um, you know computer scientists and and software engineers in the market, um, but it's still I don't know if the pressure. To be a software developer, the pressure is to not, you know, just be like a stereotype of my gender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be like an ops girl or marketing manager or office manager, and which are not negative, are not negative jobs, but they have like ne- you know maybe not as great connotations in, in the tech world. Um, and so it's more like me figuring out how to position myself around that um, and be drawn towards things I'm interested in. I, how have you, you know, f- figured that out? I know fashion, like, w- sometimes when we talk about companies, it's, like, you know, the women industries, which are, like, fashion and, and decorating. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I'm glad that you asked, because I, I, I sometimes have the same urge. Um, I mean, and, I, I know that fashion is something really good that you bring up, and I, I've tried disassociating from it for a while, and I just realized that that's kind of pointless since I spent so much time working in the industry. Um but yeah, I I feel like uh, at the end of the day, I think that these programs are wonderful and they're supporting people in endeavors that they might want. But I feel like we just really need to look at the conversations that we're having. Like, I went to visit Wesleyan a week and a half ago with one of my friends and was chatting with one of the soft like the sophomore girl that and uh, what was she studying? I think that she was. She was studying neuroscience, which is really interesting. And I was like, why do you like it? And she's like, oh, you know, I don't know. I just think like, I think people are interesting and, like, their brain's interesting. And <laughs> I feel like, unfortunately, women are often encouraged to have conversations like that. And I feel like we should be encouraging young girls to have conversations like, I'm doing neuroscience because I think that the most... Like, the fact that the cortex is a recent development for humans, it's fascinating and has great implications for what we'll do in the next 100 years. Like, that, that is how we have women who are doing amazing things in STEM fields or in their own industries whether that be art or literature you know whatever it could be and so um I think that by siloing young girls in particular in a lot of these programming uh courses I, I mean of course I'm very bad so I don't think it's necessarily that helpful because we're not uh, it, it's that same concept of finite and infinite environments where we're saying programming is a girls' club of people your age doing your thing, and it's really not. And so even if that does get another comp site major out when they actually go and work at a company and are the only girl on their team, they're just going to be having different conversations and maybe not prepared for those. So I, I, I don't have a solution, and I hate to rag on things, and I don't have a solution on it, but I I just say I I think that it's not really solving the problem. If that makes sense. Okay, well, what do you think? Maybe you're more articulate about this than I am. Um I mean I think, I think
0: people should should pursue things and build things that they're interested in. Um, and if destigmatizing coding as a boys activity is something that will enable more girls and women to build things that they're interested in, then great. You know, <laughs> like I, I have a mentor who works at the intersection of design and tech and fashion. And, um, you know, she, she kills it. And if, you know, that's someone just needs exposure to people like her and people like you, then that's great. But it's like, we haven't really figured out the root of why that's happening yet. Um, and I think that's, that's the solution I'd Rather, as focus on
1: solving.
0: <laughs> yeah. If that
1: makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. It's like putting band-aids on things never really helps heal whatever the wound may be, and so it's kind of like we've put a lot of band-aids now trying to figure out what the actual problem is. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, even if it is a band-aid, it does spark a conversation, um, which I think is helpful, right? The fact that you know, even if it's girls learn to code, and uh, you know, even if it doesn't have the exact application and the end result that we really want it at least gets people to start talking about the fact that yeah. it, girls can code too and it does destigmatize it and um, the impact of that may go beyond the actual girls that are in the organization learning to code so
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, also, th- it's like I, it's also like I went to a tech event last night and I, we counted um, I, I brought my friend and there were two of us versus forty eight men. Like it was, it, it's just the way it happens, and um, I think until those ratios start to have overwhelming shifts, it will feel unnatural um, for a while.
1: I think it's interesting that you say "you versus them," and, and I know that it wasn't meant intentionally yeah. to be that. But do you feel like it's a "you versus them" kind of kind of culture?
0: It totally depends. Um, I, I think it depends if I... F- I I'm, I've started thinking a lot about things as, like, tribe mentality. So if I feel similar to people um, or if, if there's something that... It doesn't even have to be on the outside that I feel like I can relate to another person. But um there's some reason for me to feel like I'm part of it, then I'm much more likely not to have this, this versus in my head, you know, regardless of what the gender breakdown. But... Um, if the conversation or the makeup of the group or um, whatever vibes I'm getting feel very hostile or different from, you know, any of the qualities that I possess, then uh, I do think I get a little bit like, you know, should I even be here um, and, and start questioning that? And I, I wish I didn't, but that's that's still the reality.
1: Mm. Have, have you felt like these environments are really hostile in general?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say hostile. Um, I think hostile is like the extreme, but I would say um, not conscientious. So like not conscientious that of the lack of diversity, or not conscientious of um, who they might be leaving out, or excluding, or make unco- making uncomfortable. Exclusive yeah. versus inclusive.
1: Something something that I found, and I I tend to have the same. Nature is that I like, I want someone to include me in something, but I've realized like the, the fellowship, for example, is I think 80% male, something like that. Or the most recent class is better, but it, it's kind it's of like, like you just have to include yourself. And what once like taking this general concept of having 100% responsibility over the things that I am included in, or like over the experience that I have doing anything, just makes it feel a lot less hostile, because it's no one else's responsibility to make you feel welcome but my own. And that, that's, that's been really helpful. Um, but, I, but I do see how that can be somewhat intimidating when you, know, you walk into a room full of guys in hoodies or whatever it is and just realize <laughs> that, that you are not one in the same. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Mike, what's your approach to this?
2: Uh, I feel like I'm on the hot seat right now. Sure. <laughs> be sure um, yeah, I, I think Shilpi, what you said about conscientiousness is really important. Um, I think a lot of males get defensive about conversations like these, um, where, you know, they, they think that, uh, it is a level playing field when it, it really, really, I, I don't think is. And it's not because, um. It's not because like, men, all men are sexist, right? I think people jump to conclusions like that. Uh, I, I think it's more that um, there may be disadvantages that we can't even really see. Uh, so I think empathy is really important um, to understand that like a woman in tech goes through something different than me, and I may not even understand that, and I, I may never really understand what that's like, but. Um, just to, again, like Shelby said, be conscientious of these things and leave room for uh, like, I don't know everything. I don't know what, you know, Shelby goes through. I don't know what you go through. You know, it's just leave room for the unknown and don't assume that you know everything.
1: I I think you bring up a really good point, Mike. Is that everyone's experience is at a different place on the spectrum regardless. So, um, you know, with the Sometimes I feel like we talk about women in tech as though it is the same experience for everyone, but uh, I, I've met Sophie in person. So, like, I'm six feet tall, and I think that that <laughs> honestly does make a difference, because it's very hard to look at me and think that I'm, like, small or easy to take advantage of in some way. I guess I don't know. Um, but uh, I think that with that in mind, it's like I don't understand... Should be, should be situation, I don't understand your situation, Mike, but I'm sure they're both very different and have their own challenges and, like, wonderful advantages. And so it's I, – I feel like it's useful to look at things that way, that, you know, everybody runs on the hedonic treadmill of some sort and just, like, hand them a glass of water when you can't they their running.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For the record, I, I mean, for all of our listeners, for the record, I'm not short. <laughs> I'm, like, five three. That's
1: not short, right? It's
0: not tall.
1: <laughs> I categorize people as, like, shorter than me and taller. <laughs> yeah, me. same.
0: That's, like, what we say with tribes, right? So it's, like, people that are like me and people that aren't like me. And sometimes it's not this, like, rational theory. It's just, um, it's it's like you don't even do the addition. Your brain just, like, does it for you.
1: Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. It's a... Uh... It's really hard not to. I think, as you said, Mike, everybody wants to say that they're a clean slate and don't, like, doesn't judge other people. But it's like a human response to judge other people. So it's just not letting those judgments bias you—it's right. what I think is a real challenge. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: Maddie, I know you have to go, but uh, let's just close it up. And is there any other things you wanted to
1: say or talk about? Um. Oh. I mean, I I'm always love to connect with new people and help out however I can. So if anyone's working at the intersection of design and technology and wants to chat, totally open to it.
0: Yeah. Are there and any website or links that they should check out? We'll we'll definitely include them.
1: Um, and you can give them a shout out here, too. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, we're going to be launching our new website soon, which is um, Uh That's... C-R-A-T-E-D, like a created box. And so you can see the, uh, the processing sketch that I, was, that I was mentioning, which I'm sure is super exciting for everyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> Run, don't walk.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome. I love yeah, it. Thank you guys so much for having me. Of
2: course. Thanks for coming on
0: the show. Thanks, Maddie. Awesome to catch All up. Right. Good to see you guys. Take yeah. care. Good. Bye, Maddie. Thanks.